Ladies and gentlemen, live from the throatiest, sexiest podcasting palace, this side of, I don't even know where because my brain is barely functioning, it's Raven, <laughs> no, it's Who's Raven On, a sub-podcast of the original Raven On podcast, which was about Game of Thrones, but as I saw today, those books are being heavily discounted at airport bookshops. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about that. And uh, everyone's forgotten that show. So we are desperately clinging to relevance by recapping Doctor Who in podcast form. I'm Natalie Bohensky, and I'll explain while I sound uh, like I've had my throat interfered with. Uh, <laughs> well, I was about to say that I'll explain why I sound like a drag queen, but I don't know if that's sort of allowed to be said anymore because, you know, a lot of drag queens do have the throaty voice. I don't know that that's saying anything against them, but I, I don't want to be seen as dragging drag queens, if that makes sense, because let's sure. face it, in a battle between me and a drag queen, we all know who's winning, and it ain't me. <laughs> but with me, as always, who always sounds good, is Stuart Late. Hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd say in a fight between me and a drag queen, the drag queen would probably win. Yeah. Look, they are the species that will continue living on Earth long after the rest of us have... <laughs> gone to our graves they are powerful magical beings absolutely um i just want to apologize to you Stu, and the listening audience that i am incredibly froggy in the throat i uh came down with a cold after i've had a busy week of travel i went to adelaide over the weekend for the fringe festival to do a couple of shows but unfortunately uh this is with amy and poor amy got sick on Sunday, and we had to cancel our final show. Yeah, that's terrible. And yeah. then, of course, on Monday, as we got home, by the time I got home on Monday, I had the cold. Of course. And then I had to make a brief visit down to Sydney yesterday, and I got back this afternoon. And uh, you'll be pleased to know, Stu, you'll be very pleased to know that I mm. broke a 20, I think it's like a 20-year record today, and I threw up on a plane. So. Oh, wow. You didn't tell me this. That's cr that's no, uh, terrible. My goodness. That's why I said, let's do it on mic and not waste <laughs> the reaction. Oh, no. So what? what so did you have to get, use the, the, the bag? and? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to the bag, Stu. I got to the bag. That's good. I don't know. I don't know what it was because I've had – the cold's been following a sort of a fairly – standard progression you know it was really sore throat and then a stuffed up congested head and then by <laughs> this morning I was getting like you know when you, you your whole face is leaking constantly and you're coughing and starting to that that hacking cough I so am I thought, definitely aware of this you haven't been anywhere near mainland China at the moment have you no I just want to stress <laughs> I do not want to upset anybody or, or or concern anybody this is just a head cold I will be over it in a few days but I think just the tiredness of this quick flight to Sydney and I had to go to a bunch of meetings and then, I don't know, maybe I ate something today, but I was on the plane and I just started getting that feeling, which I know tends to result in only one thing, uh, which is when I, I sort of get sweaty and then I start breathing like shallow breathing, like sure. a, you know, a sort of a pant. And I was sitting there on the plane going, come on, I have no, as a kid, I used to throw up on planes all the time. Very, very regular. Like but recreationally or? Oh, yeah, just for funsies, just to see how the stewards would handle it. <laughs> uh, and, and no, I, I just would – I was I, – I tend to get car sick more now than air sick, but um, if I'm not driving, that is. 
but I've been okay on planes for I think 20 years, like at least 15 years, probably 20. Uh, and no, there I was sitting there going, "Come on, Natalie, come on, don't don't break now, don't break now." And then all of a sudden <laughs> I went, and just after they, well, just after they told all the crew to get ready for landing, so we oh, were like no. starting the descent, but everyone had been told to belt up and stay seated, and yeah. I was like, "Okay, this is happening. Grab the bag." And luckily, I tell you what, it, I'm a grown ass woman, Stu. Uh, I'm at least 23, and. <laughs> I had gone down to Sydney with my mum and there was actually no better, there was nothing better than sort of turning because we had a seat between us on the flight, turning, you know, violently being ill. Yes. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm still sneezing. (coughs) I'll edit those out maybe. Um, But having my mum like rub my shoulder and like pat my head. Oh, there, there, it's okay. You poor thing, it's okay. And like all those times when I was a kid and she would be there with the sick bag, it was just like that all over again. You just slip back into muscle memory. Absolutely. Yeah. And she switched bags even. She was like, okay, are you ready? Okay, we're just going to switch bags now. <laughs> switch to the new one. And, uh, and I was okay. And I, I did feel better, but still like very weak. So if I come across as kind of weird in the head, slightly brain dead, slightly dizzy sounding, you know, that's why. So... Uh, 2020, bringing all sorts of surprises, including a bout. But having said that, when I went down yesterday, because I had the congestion in my head, mm. I had the worst blocked ears on landing that I've ever oh, yeah, had. I'm at, yeah, I'll bet. It was all, all, your, all, your, all your tubes, are, all your pipes. Yeah, all are my all pipes. And I, and I get vertigo um, from time to time. <laughs> uh, so you, all, you're just having a real fun time of it. Well, I did. I got a, a very quick bout of vertigo at lunch. I blew my nose so hard trying to clear out my ears that both my ears cracked so hard that my mum heard them. And then all of a sudden my head oh. started swimming. Oh, and wow. I was like, oh, crap, I'm getting vertigo. Oh, crap. But luckily it stabilized yeah. and it was just like a very quick sort of two-minute bout of like everything swimming. I was like, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, but my ears are still all kind of congested and blocked up and you know, that, that horrible sort of where you feel like you're kind of deaf oh, and you're wow, hearing. Yeah. It's like it's like I'm on mono, Stu. I'm not in stereo. I'm in mono. <laughs> I've You've just gone got school. that. I've gone AM band, just yeah. a little bit, you know. Everything, oh, everything's kind of distant sounding and crackly. Yeah, and I like to talk about the flag for some reason and uh, <laughs> why the kids of today don't appreciate how good they've got it. Um. But yes, yeah, so that is the explanation. But uh, how's your week? Fair enough. Well, that's okay. I was going to say, um, you know, it's uh, it's really interesting because I don't get any sort of motion sickness or, or travel sickness or anything like that. But if I set foot on a boat that is on any sort of rough sea, I will be heaving over the side within thirty seconds. Like that's well, my insane. that's my kryptonite. I I just cannot. I get seasick at the drop of a hat. I I, I do too. I I get a bit seasick when it's not flat calm. Um, and that is the reason why I heartily disappointed my father, who was a Marine pilot and went to see day 17. Yes. And the yeah, four yeah. generations of Bohenskis who were nautical men, merchant Navy seamen going back to Poland in the 1800s. So I've really disappointed the family there. Um, but I guess I produce comedy shows. So <laughs> swings and roundabouts, swings and roundabouts. Uh, 
but um, <laughs> yeah, no, I get you with the boats. I love say I love sailing. I love being on the water when it is calm. But yeah, as soon as the waves come in, as soon as I, it's I a get, swell, yeah, I'm, I'm I get a little bit worried. Yeah, I, I find looking at the horizon does help, but only to a certain point. Uh, I remember, <laughs> I remember years ago, uh, Greg from the Smart Enough to Know Better podcast and I went to the Orkneys with his sister, and we took a ferry across the North Sea um, from the top of Scotland. Near oh wow, uh, a, a famously uh, calm situation. <laughs> and it was a car ferry and so car ferries kind of have that shape where they're really tall they're quite tall and sure. slim and yeah. i always feel like if you're going surely boats should be as wide as possible and as flat <laughs> as possible for some like a car you know i feel safer when the car is like really wide and you can kind of hug the i appreciate there's different physics at play but anyway we get on this thing going over it was dark it was so dark Mm. And I was so seasick because I couldn't see the horizon. I couldn't see anything. I could only feel these great big swells. Yeah. And I was really seasick, but I didn't feel unsafe. Coming back, we came back in the afternoon and I was too scared to be seasick because the swells were so crazy big <laughs> and ships kept going up and down. I was like, we're going to die. It's going to tip. I don't know how this boat can stay upright. It did, of course. <laughs> but I was so scared I couldn't be seasick. So it's sort of one or the other, really. Yeah, don't, I mean, you know. don't see the danger and just feel sick about it or see the danger and be terrified, <laughs> but at least you're not sick sick. You know, again, swings and roundabouts. Exactly. So, no, Crystal, I'm trying to podcast. Can you get off the table, please? Sorry, the cat likes to make herself at home. Uh, look, it's been a week in, in, in news, hasn't it? It's been a terrible week. There's been lots of crap happening. Yes, it has, but but fortunately we have a, a pretty good episode of television to to take our minds off things. I think, yes. um, you know, in terms of what has come before, I think this is probably maybe one of the better episodes of the season, I think, yeah. of this episode of Doctor Who. And certainly in the sense that it was period appropriate where I could feel very smug about knowing a lot about or a deep <laughs> well, I was amount say, about I, I was very excited to talk to you about this because I know <laughs> that this is very much in your wheelhouse. I mean, so. it is, but I, I'm not going to sit here going, oh, well, they got the cantos of Byron wrong. I don't. Oh, no, no, do. Geek out. I geek out all the time on this podcast. It's time It's time for you to let your freak flag fly, no, no, Matt. But this, is, but this is my point. I don't have as much geek cred as you might think I do. I don't have detailed Shelley poems in my head or Byron poems. Like, I'm you know, that era is much more the Jane Austen sort of for me. I've got to get more into the other romantics. Uh, <laughs> but I certainly know who they are and I certainly, you know, had a, had a few little, oh, okay, historical, meh. but, um, yeah, in my wheelhouse in terms of a setting and a really fun kind of haunted house story. Yeah. And a, a good villain and a good – I think, yeah, I don't think it was perfect, but compared to so much of this series – uh, I had a really good time watching it. So Look, that is... it, it, it hung together. I, I said I said on my, my my Twitter review this week was that it oh, yeah. that the bar is on the floor, but the episode <laughs> cleared it. So we're all good. You know, it like was a half sleep over that. It, that's it. Solid yes, it, bar. it, it, it with all enthusiasm and and vigor, like leapt over that bar that was lying on the floor. So, well, me, you know, let me start with my minute challenge because yes. I'm so, I'm moving so slowly. I think I noted down like four things. Um, 
and then you can go through yours, which I'm sure will be more comprehensive. So this is where we put a minute on the clock and try and write down as much as we remember about the episode. So what was this episode called? Oh, The Haunting of Villa Diatago, Diatago, Dia Diary, uh, whatever it was. I wrote, Lone Cyberman was stalking Shelley or Shelley. Uh, but I enjoyed The Lone Cyberman. Oh, uh, Byron was a twat. But Claire, Claire got to have her kind of like, go girlfriend, you don't mean nothing to me, boyo, woo, moment. But in reality, she was pregnant with his kid at that point and then begged him to take it back. <laughs> now, see, I, I didn't know that when I was watching the episode. I'm not, uh, I'm not familiar with like, I'm not super familiar with this sort of period in history and these people in particular. So I just took that as like, oh, well, that's cool. They've kind of, you know, done a little, done a little moment. Which probably would never have happened, and then and then you said, oh no, she would have definitely been pregnant at that point. It's like, oh, okay, that takes. Well, the... I knew, I knew that she had a kid by him. I knew that she, I knew that she had been the one going, hey, let's go, let's follow Byron, let's let's stalk Byron to Geneva. Like I knew that much, and so that's why I went and did a, a bit of a wiki check to go, was she? Did she sort of dump him after that? Is that is that the case? Because I don't remember that from my uh, Great British Classics 101 in university. <laughs> um, I don't remember that. But, um, no, she, she she didn't at all uh, at that point anyway. And it was around then that she got knocked up by him. So or she was either pregnant sure. or, uh, yeah, ar- ar- around that time. So a bit of uh, artistic license, which I get. <laughs> but also then that's a bit fine. of it's, it's Doctor Who. I mean, yes, but also she had a bit of a – I mean, she survived a long time. She lived – she outlived the rest of them by years, decades. She died at 80 or something. And of oh, course, wow. the rest of them – yeah, yeah. The, I think Mary Shelley maybe got to 50 or something, but, uh, of course, Shelley popped off, popped his clogs at 30 or something and Byron at 35. Uh, and the other thing about Byron, did you know he had anorexia? Or at least they suspect that he had I anorexia. I did not know that. Yeah case of male anorexia he was hmm. um in his early days he was sort of notoriously kind of plump uh they, ah. they've done they've done studies of his um was it a lucy worsley documentary i was watching i love lucy worsley uh, <laughs> but they went to his tailor and his the, the tailor that he used still exists in london like they date back 300 because of course years they do yeah that's right because of course they do <laughs> and so they go in and look at the records of him his his clothes oh and they have his measurements and they have his measurements. And over the years, they got smaller and smaller. And they think it was because the fashions changed and went into this much more dandy, the suit, you know, what we now know as that that Mr. Darcy look, that was yes. very much a new style. And they think that he got quite obsessed with his image and he stopped eating. And he would also play cricket for exercise, wearing like multiple vests, like sweating. Um, right, okay. Like, like saunering himself. Yeah. Uh, so they think, and he sort of reportedly, you know, just wouldn't eat at meals and that sort of thing. So they think that he had some sort of eating, pardon me, some sort of eating disorder, uh, which is very unusual in men generally, not uncommon, but more unusual than for women. No, and, that's it, but, but it's always fascinating when you, you hear about something that you think of as quite modern. Like I think of anorexia, I think is that a, of that as a modern affliction, but yeah. Of course, like you know, it would have it would have been around in the past. It just wouldn't have been called anorexia. So you know, that's right. Yeah, it's just fascinating. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts um, about the early 
years of Hollywood, um, you must remember this is a fantastic mm. podcast, one of my favorites. And she's been doing a special series with guests hosts and they've been doing stories based on the, uh, I guess, beauty diet kind of culture in the early part of the 20th century when films, the film industry was really starting. And a word that it was constantly in the press then was reducing. So you don't say that you were dieting or slimming. You say that you were reducing. So when you had powders or something, it's like a reducing powder. Or I thought that was an interesting term. Uh, you're it reducing sounds, it a, re- a reducing powder sounds like something a magician throws at you to turn you into like two inches tall. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's funny how language changes. But yes, so Byron obviously was trying to reduce himself. That's really uh, interesting. Something that struck me, and I, I think this is mostly, I think this is, accurate but also like the, the the casting was spot on in the sense that everyone was astonishingly beautiful in this episode oh did you notice God. especially oh like shelly like, like he was it was like it was like yeah. um when the beast turns back into a prince at the end of um at the end of beauty and the beast right like just this just this like chiseled like features yes. on this guy it's like what is going on why is everyone yeah. so beautiful like a, a greek aesthetic yeah yeah, like carved from a statue of marble kind of. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, it was very, it was very. Uh, and I yeah. don't know if that's, I don't know if that's uh, historically appropriate. I know that like Lord Byron was a famous, uh, you know, womanizer and that sort of thing. And, and that sort of thing. I don't know whether they were all like renowned for their beauty as well as their words. But... Smooth faced. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he had a couple of STIs going around. <laughs> Lord smooth Byron face, totally would. smooth faces, bumpy everywhere else. Yes, that's right. He totally would have had the clap at some point. Uh, <laughs> I did like the little mention that they threw in of his daughter because I was wondering if they were going to yes. do that. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's interesting. We've had Ada Lovelace and Byron, and she's like, huh, "You suck, but your daughter's great." And he's like, mm. uh, "Let me finish my list." Sorry, um, I wrote "Cool Haunted House," but has that been done before? Wasn't there an episode in a motel? Was it Capaldi? And there was an episode uh, where the motel kept changing or the doors kept – they couldn't so escape? So that was that – was, uh, oh, God, what was that one? That, that was with uh, Matt Smith and mm. Amy, and that was called – oh, what was it? I can't remember. I know that the Capaldi one you're thinking of was the episode called Hyde, uh, where it was, um, I think, set – during the 50s and it was in an old house and that there was a, a ghost that was actually from another dimension and a, a time traveler from the future who was the ghost in the witch in the well or whatever it was so that, that was the episode called hide but the one you're yeah. thinking of in the hotel that was also like a haunted house sort of thing and i cannot for the life of me remember what it was called off the top of my um, head so hide, uh, hide was matt smith there you go oh was it yeah, according oh, I to your pardon. Yeah, okay, no, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, well, that's that. That's that. That was the, probably the closest to this one in that it was like a haunted house sort of story, uh, and, and actually with ghosts that turn out to be like sci-fi monsters sort of things. Yeah. And then there was also oh god, what, the god complex, the god complex, where uh, yeah, it's like a hotel with like rooms that show your secret fears and things like that. That's the one I think I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's Matt Smith as well. Yes. Uh, they trapped in a 1980s hotel with constantly changing corridors. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's the God Complex. Um, I don't remember Hyde. I think that might have been one that I missed. 
because I know there were it's a couple. It's a pretty good one, actually. I quite yeah, like. I remember being told it was good and going, yes, I'll go back and watch that. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and that happened. Put it on the list. Put Indeed. it on the list. Uh, yeah, so I just thought, I mean, I guess, look, everything's going to be recycled in some way. But the idea that it was a perception filter was quite fun. Uh, yes. That the, the, the house was trying to defend itself, I think. Or no, it was the... It was the Siberian was, was well, defending itself by changing everyone's perception. Yes. So let me then my final point that I ma- made is uh, Doctor had to make a decision. So there yes, she to did. High, high stakes involved whether to let Percy Shelley die and save all the peach people in the future, and then uh, and that was um, I I did I actually really enjoyed that. Oh God, what's his face? This is my brain. Ryan. <sighs> Ryan, thank you. Actually went, hey, it's a no-brainer. It's this one guy or all these other people. And then she's like, oh, no, but if Shelley dies, history will change. I did have the slight thing of going, I mean, yeah. And they they really rammed, <laughs> they rammed it home by going everything, like it'll be a different world, which means you won't exist. And it's like, well, yes, Shelley did contribute a lot to literature, but also, I, I, yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a stretch, but I mean, like, it's it's far from the biggest stretch this show has ever made. Um, I, mean, I I agree that it was very, like, it was it was a it was a long stretch to get to where they wanted to go. I understood the point they were making, and I did yeah. like that the Doctor, like, like I liked that Ryan like had that natural, uh, yeah. You know, Thimbury's like, well, it's 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 a trolley problem. Yeah, like you kill you kill the one person, you save as many people as you can. And the doctor's like, no, 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 we 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 make the trolley jump the rails. Like like we that's that's how we work here. We we don't decide we're going to kill one person. We try to kill no people. That that's the solution. Except that that's inconsistent with this doctor's sort of record. Exactly. Yes. I mean, you know, has in fact on some occasions just let somebody die. Absolutely. Has literally walked away and let someone be shot in the face. Uh, So (laughs) you know, like it's that that's not this episode's fault, but it is the fault of this era of the show, which has written its characters, including its main character, wildly inconsistently. Mm. Um, But I think they really got it right here. I think, I think the doctor's immediate sort of reaction to Ryan saying that is kind of like not disappointed and a little angry. Um, And it kind of sparks her on that little, um, that little speech that she does where she's like, no, no, no. Okay. I know I say that like, it's a flat team structure, but when the rubber hits the road, I, what I say goes, and you all need to get on board. Yes. Like, I really liked that vibe this this time out. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and it's problematic, isn't it? Because she's she's saying they're trying to go, like, their whole motto for this season seems to be space for all, like inclusivity and everyone has a voice and everyone's mm. valid. And then it's like, but actually, you guys don't know shit. I'm in charge. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, look, look, that's that's the show getting in its own way, Uh, because like, you know, like the the doctor is always going to be the cleverest person in that room. Yes. You know, just by default and also by just the the weight of that character. Like we know that the doctor is the one who makes these decisions and the and it it actually is a little it undercuts some of that tension for me anyway, for, as a long time viewer, it undercuts a lot of that tension for the, for the companions who've been around for a hot minute 
um, sort of saying, oh, you know, what? I don't know, what what are we supposed to do? Let's talk it out. And the Doctor's like, no, 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 you don't understand. There's a Cyberman there. Like, this is what I do, <laughs> you know? And again, it's it's that problem with the show where we're almost two full seasons into this era of the show and, you know, we're only just now getting to the point where the companions are starting to ask these questions like, oh, what... You, you've you've had other people before us, and and they're they're only just starting to get this sense of the Doctor as this unknowable cosmic being, rather than you know the goofy lady they hang out. Mm. It doesn't usually take this long. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, and and it's all it's it's yeah, it seems to be happening in slow motion. But I did like that they forced that kind of doctor making the big high stakes choice of yeah absolutely that i've got to make a call and calling to show shelley his death ahead of time and mm. shock, shock his brain into thinking it had died so the siberian would exit his body and now he has to live with knowledge that he's going to go on a boat i mean wouldn't you just not go sailing again wouldn't you just go <laughs> you know what don't think I will roll mm. around Italy in big shirts. Sorry, that's my favourite. It's one of my favourite Blackadder lines. <laughs> Was it running around running around Italy in big shirts? <laughs> God, there's such a good episode of Blackadder with Shelley and Byron and yeah, yeah. Uh, Samuel Johnson's Dictionary one. Yes, yes, yes. So good. And they're just like emos, just angsting. Yeah. Well, because they were, and I, I love that they kind yeah. of they kind of get to that in this episode. Is that like all of them were in their early twenties? Like yeah, this was a, this was a house party. Like, like what was going on here was a house party. Mm. You know, like it just everyone was in fluffy shirts and and was drinking. You know, what 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 yeah. are they what do they drink back then? Brandy, I guess. Playing spin the bottle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but we'll get on to well, I've got I've got one more point about that, but let's hear your list um first. All right, okay, so I, I wrote down, first of all, it was a dark and stormy night. Ah, nice. Uh, which is always the best way to start a story. Yeah. Uh, and they had that, what, they had the bit, and I, again, I, I want to say up front, I, I really like this episode, but I did have some things that were a bit weird about it. <coughs> Sorry, did oh, I turn no. my mic off, or did I? <laughs> have I given you my flu through the Skype-wise? You've given me your flu through the, through the Skype. Yeah. Um. No, so I, I thought it was really interesting that they started with a bit of a scare because um, it's a haunted house. But that moment made no sense because they went to an- the, uh, there was a knock at the door. They went to answer the door and then everyone screamed. And then there was the credits. And I was didn't like, they show, didn't they show the, um, the, the gang, the fam? No, they did. But they were they were at the door. <laughs> you yeah. know, like it just um, someone had knocked on the door ominously. And then they opened the door and screamed. And everyone screamed at each other. And I was like, oh, that's not that's not yeah. what would happen. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit weird. You'd be like, shit, it's who are you? It's a bit strange. And it made for a weird cut, too. Like, it was, the one, it was the one sort of vaguely janky bit of directing in the episode, which was otherwise, like, really, really cool, actually. Yeah. Um, but it was just sort of that, that weird, like, the moment was only half over, and then they cut away to the credits. And, it, and we had another cold open for some reason. You know, like I, yeah, yeah, again, yeah. like, you know, in a show that has not done cold opens ever, and it, uh, it, suddenly it does two in a row. It's it very weird. It wasn't really cold open worthy, was it? It was. No, no, there was no, like it was, 
it was using that moment as like the the scare moment that you you dive into the credits on but it was like it was very it was very sweaty i don't know anyway it just i thought i thought i'd mention that just because it was that was the one moment where i was like oh that's a bit that's a bit like awkward i hope the whole episode's not like that and fortunately it wasn't it was actually really really good Mm. um the next thing i i wrote down was no there there was there wasn't any frankenstein material yeah go to the house on the night that frankenstein is first written and thieved and they and they don't lean into the frankenstein motif now obviously the the lone cyberman is meant to be evocative of a frankenstein type creature modern prometheus Um, you modern prometheus hey i'll make that down and i'll use that later yes but um yeah like it, it just it was very it was very weird to me because they the the doctor says very early on when they first arrive oh don't do not mention the word frankenstein you're not allowed to say frankenstein and instead of running with that as a fun bit throughout the episode they just do what she says and they never mention frankenstein again yeah and it's very weird does. Except, goes, except she anybody does, want to write a way. ghost story yeah that's right <laughs> which i thought you know that, that's very in character for the doctor which is great like i did like that but you would expect there to be that I, I thought they were going to lean real heavy into the frankenstein imagery in this episode and you know they chose not to which was a bit of a weird thing um you would think for you know uh maybe you know you you just spitballing like like you you think about things like you know maybe the the cyberman had been deactivated and like they accidentally reanimate him you know using like lightning or something you know like like there's there's ways into the into it that like evoke that imagery without you know you know in a fun doctor who sort of a way but instead they they did like a haunted house episode so they were just sort of going for generally kind of spooky uh without like leaning on Frankenstein too heavily, which is weird because then why, why, why do it where Mary Shelley is running Frankenstein? Like you can do it anywhere, really. It's just an no, excuse well, to have and this historical was my characters. Other, this is my other problem: is that I do feel it kind of took away Mary Shelley's agency in creating Frankenstein. Yes, yes. <laughs> like. You know, it was like, oh, she was inspired. Like, we're going to see the night that she invented it. Oh, no, actually, it was like, just us that gave her the inspiration. Oops, yeah, we, we inspired her. And it's like, and I, yeah. And yeah. that's, and look, that's common to a lot of Doctor Who in history stories. Sure, absolutely. Uh, and you could even argue that maybe Tesla had similar elements to that, although I don't think as egregious. But I did get a little bit, you know, that she had her stand up moment going, no, you've loved and I've seen you're just a creature of many parts. And, Oh, look, here's all these other things that I'll incorporate later into a novel. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I did think, like, it came from her brain. Uh, she was clever. and Yeah, she was clever and, and very talented in a time where women were not allowed to be either of those things. Yeah. Uh, and you know. So I, you know, I, I get that little sort of be in my bonnet about those sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and we sort of talked about this, and I saw it mentioned elsewhere as well, but it's a weird thing for the episode to then to, to be about like, obviously they've, they've chosen to like the writers have chosen to write this location because it's where Frankenstein was written. It's not because that's where like 
Shelley and Byron wrote a couple of spooky poems. Yes. You know, like, like it's it's where Frankenstein was written. And so that's why they've gone there. And the person who did that was Mary Shelley. Mm. And yet the episode hinges on Percy Shelley. Yes. And the doctor right. gives an impassioned plea about why Percy Shelley is important and, and matters to the future. Yeah. And then at the yeah. end, it's been pointed out by people smarter than me, Lord Byron literally gets the last word in the episode. Yeah. Oh, like yeah, he gets yeah, to yeah. read his poem. Because it suits, because it ends yeah. with the line, she was the universe. Yeah, because they saw that poem, they're like, oh, that's kind of, that kind of fits with the Doctor. Yeah. You know, like, and it's like, oh, okay, I guess you're kind of undercutting your message very hard, but okay, that works, yeah. I guess. It, it I, just I seems like maybe, a really weird choice. Maybe they were reaching for some sort of collective, all of this creativity that happened here mattered, you know. All of these people, uh, their stories and their poems are important. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes, you, you, I, you're doing... I'm, you're, I'm you're, trying to help. Uh, you're doing the heavy lifting for the episode. But, yeah, it very much was when I looked that up, I went, oh, it's because of that She Was the Universe line, and they, they just go, you yeah. know, as, as opposed to having, having Mary Shelley sit down and start scribbling some lines or... Yes, exactly. Yeah, instead instead of sitting down like inspired and going, I shall write, I shall write a story of science fiction. Mm. Uh, she she does not do that and and has no more lines in the episode. And Byron gets to read his poem out. Um, and what I assume, like like what what was that that they were doing? That was just like a recitation, or they were having a little moment. And I'm just looking it up now, uh, Mary Shelley, the first sentences are, you will rejoice to hear that no disaster has accompanied the commencement of an enterprise which you have regarded with such evil forebodings. Chapter one, I am by birth a Genovese and my family is one of the most distinguished of that republic. It's not particularly uh, grabbing, is it? Um, no, no. Uh, yeah, they weren't, weren't big on the brevity back in the day. Oh, some, there are some great ones here. Beware, for I am fearless and therefore powerful. <laughs> um, oh, they, they, these are all lines from Frankenstein. Yeah, absolutely. These, well, these but... are the lines from Frankenstein. Nothing is so powerful to the human mind as a great and sudden change. Sorry, nothing hmm. is so painful to the human mind as a great and sudden as a change. Great and sudden change. Yeah. And this one, life, although it may only be an accumulation of anguish, is dear to me, and I will defend it. Hmm. That's a good doctor line. Yes. Like, why aren't any of those in there? Yeah, I suspect I suspect the, the writer did not. Uh, yeah, I suspect the writer did not actually go back and read Frankenstein uh, to, <laughs> to uh, write this episode. But um, yeah, no, it turns out Frankenstein, good book, uh, quite quite scary. I remember I read it when I was a fairly young teenager and was freaked out by it. Oh, nice. Uh, have you, you you've read it, haven't you? Or look, I don't even know if I have. To be honest with you, I remember <laughs> I wrote. I read the the book, the Mary Shelley book that I read at university was um, Matilda, which is a, a lesser known book of hers that was published long after she died because it was quite scandalous at the time. It's an oh, amazing, okay. amazing novella, and it's about I can't remember how it ends, but it's about uh, it's it's very autobiographical because of course she was the daughter of Mary Wollstonecraft, the famous feminist, mm. and. You know, Mary Wollstonecraft died after giving birth to her. She had a, a some sort of post-birth complication. The placenta didn't come out, or you know, anyway, and she bled. She hemorrhaged, I think, to death. Uh, and that was always, you know, that's one of the reasons Shelley 
uh, Percy Shelley loved hers because she was the great, you know, heir of Mary Wollstonecraft. And her father, William Godwin, was a, not- a noted intellectual. Uh, and so Matilda is about how this very, very intellectual man married an amazing woman and she ha- they had a child and then the mother died in childbirth and the father couldn't bear to look after the child. So he sent her away. Right to live with family or something. And then when she was 16, he goes back to visit her and goes, right, I'm going to turn up now. And she looks <laughs> so much like the his, his dead wife that he starts falling in love with her, basically. So it's oh, kind right. of messed oh. up, you know. Yeah, okay. And so because there are a lot of parallels, you know, and I, I don't know there's any suggestion that William God, Godwin had this because he, you know, Mary grew up with him, but she obviously sort of, creatively extrapolated this, you know, weird relationship that they probably had. Sure. Uh, and so it wasn't published until decades later because it was considered right. too scandalous at the time. Uh, and that's the one we read. And that's why I'm like, no, Mary Shelley was quite clever and she had this, like, <laughs> cooled up cool brain where she told stories of, you know, weird shit. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I thought they would have done more too because, I mean, like she basically – I mean, you know, the, the people have different interpretations of this, but she basically invented science fiction. Yeah. Like like modern science fiction with, with Frankenstein because, you know, it's it's a it's a science fiction story. It's a, it, People think of it as a horror story, but it's it's a science fiction story. It's about a, a scientist who creates life, you know, and, and – you know, it it has horrific elements after that because of the monster and the, the the drama and the psychodrama that comes out of that. But, like, it's a science fiction story. And, you know, you would think that a show that it, that is so completely and totally emblematic of science fiction like Doctor Who would do more to sort of honour Mary Shelley a little bit more. Yeah. You know, I thought she was a little bit underserved. Like, like you know, in the episode itself, the character's great. Like, the actress who plays her is, is really good and... Like, she has a lot of cool stuff to do, and she stands up to the Cyberman at the end, which is really awesome. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you just the, the episode didn't really seem to be very interested in saying, hey, Mary Shelley, like, we kind of owe her a lot <laughs> in terms of, you know, that. Instead, the Doctor does a big speech about how Percy Shelley is really, really important. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, like, like, their heart's in the right place, but I think they really kind of, that they their focus was in the wrong place maybe. It was very strange. How weird is this? This is weird, no? Mm-hmm. Something's just flashed up on my – that's really weird timing. Maybe it – I think Facebook's listening. I just had flicked over. I'm not checking Facebook on you, but I was just flicking off Wikipedia and flicking back and went through Facebook. And the article that popped up was an old article someone posted last year saying Christopher Eccleston shares he was very ill with anorexia during Doctor Who. Oh, that's weird. And we were literally just talking about Doctor Who and Byron and anorexia. anorexia. That's freaky shit. Yeah, Stop Facebook's always listening. Facebook. Stop listening. Or if you are listening, can I please have $7 million? <laughs> Scratch that. $27 million. Scratch that. $127 million. $100 million. $100 million, please. I need that money for stuff. <laughs> I've got to get stuff. Uh, but, yes, I, I agree. I think it would be – it would have been nice to have a little bit more of – I guess in the same way that Ada Lovelace was, you're going to be brilliant. 
But we're not going to have you use your yeah. intelligence to help yeah, we solve won't have it. You, yeah, we won't have you actually do anything. You'll just sort of tag along, look kind of confused and wondered at everything, and then we're going to mind wipe you at the end. So at the very least, at least they didn't seem to mind wipe everyone at the end of this episode. Yeah, that's uh, true. That's true. It, the, the more it goes on, the weirder it is that the Doctor mind wiped Ada Lovelace and Noor Khan. It's yeah. very weird. Yeah. With every episode that goes by where they encounter actual historical figures and do not mind wipe them, like, it just gets weirder and weirder every time. It's like, ah, but she totally mind wiped both of them. Why? Yeah. Very strange. I don't think she needed to. I mean, they they arguably saw a lot more than some of the others. Like, they came on the TARDIS, for God's sake. Like, I mean, they, you know... So, but but then I mean, we saw that Syria lady uh, in the nightmare episode, like actually come on the TARDIS, you know, and she was from like the 13th century. Yeah, <laughs> we don't we don't know if she got mind wiped because they just dropped her off and yeah, that she just disappears again. from the episode. Yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe they did in a deleted scene. Um, what the, else? The rest of the, the rest of my list. So yeah, I I had um the next ep- uh, thing I had was a lone Cyberman. That is a lone Cyberman. Yep. And the plot kicks into gear. Yep. I thought it was really interesting how the episode kind of hinges on that revelation. Like, there's sort of two parts to it. There's the first half where they, they're doing very much a, a scary, spooky, uh, you know, a haunted house sort of mystery. Yeah. And then the lone Cyberman appears and boom, the episode is is suddenly like sci-fi action again. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. I thought that, that structure was really cool. Yeah, it uh, was fun to see, you know, Shelley saw a vision in the lake. And it was like, yeah. well, that's Shelley. He was on a lot of opium. <laughs> yes. Uh, he, he was constantly <laughs> communing with nature. Uh, but what, yeah, what does that mean uh, for the plot, the wider plot? Oh, it's a Cyberman. And then when he turned up and it was like, oh, he's not a full Cyberman. He's like a cyber half man. <laughs> I love the way you said, I love the way you said Cyberman just then. You were like Cyberman. Cyberman. <laughs> like he's like he's John Cyberman. Yeah, Mr. Thomas Cyberman. Uh, <laughs> Hello, I'm Dick Cyberman. Dick Cyberman. Sorry, Cyberman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize I'd said that. Uh, there you go. Uh, oh, darling, we're having the Cybermen around for dinner. The Cybermen, <laughs> Cybermen are coming. We're around. having the, the Cybermans. Cybermen. The Cybermans are coming around for tea. Mm, they've got some very important computer upgrades they wish to share with us. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so what was the what was the whole point of him being sort of half formed? And the doctor says at one point, "I've never seen one like you before." Um, was that like is that got reference? Well, reading reading completely between the lines, he was fr- he was like the one of the last uh, survivors of the Great Cyber War, wasn't he? Like like wasn't that the thing? So. My, my my impression was that he was like a, a a late recruit into the war where they didn't necessarily have all the parts that they needed, and um you know they kind of half converted him and were like good enough off you go, uh except he didn't have he didn't have all the things his his power supply was a bit janky, uh and uh he didn't have the uh personality inhibitor which was uh, an interesting thing because it meant that he could he hated and was was sly and and nasty you know which was Those something we don't often hate. see oh is that daleks oh daleks hate uh yeah. cybermen don't have any emotions that's that's their scary thing right 
all all emotion will be deleted it makes it very hard to have one cyberman and and a plot yes exactly yeah yeah but but they they found a way to do it which is really interesting yeah that's right i thought that was clever and uh i liked the twist where she thought she was mary shelley thought can you get off my microphone please cat i'm (laughs) very much annoying me uh i like the fact that she said no you've you've had children or you've loved i can tell and he was like yes i had children and i slit their throats (laughs) yes exactly like he he completely you you felt like the the episode was going to just for a second you felt like the episode was going to do the you know i i was a human once you know all that sort of thing and it's like nope nope i'm a being of pure evil uh it's fine i quite i quite like that i i you know i like it when they sort of subvert tropes like that and it's it's fun to watch um i thought uh the siberium was an interesting idea uh that's that's not been seen before not that i can remember um yeah, I not not that I can remember, but but it makes sense in the in the sense of that they've sort of gone nanotech with the Cybermen in the last few outings. Like like we've sort of seen a few things, and it, you know again that makes sense. Like that they would have like nanotech conversion and that sort of thing uh, as they get more and more advanced. Um, but I do wonder how that's going to play into the finale. Like how like like what. What was the Siberium? Did it want to be with the Cyberman and couldn't get to him because it had already bonded with Shelley? Or was it... Did it not want to get to the Cyberman and that's why it was defending itself? Yeah, that was the what I assumed because the whole thing that the companions were saying is, no, remember Captain Jack said, don't give it what it wants. Mm. And it clearly wants the Siberium. But, you know, maybe it wanted something else. Maybe it wanted a hug, Stu. And... <laughs> It couldn't get one, and well, so it decided to all kill all all humans. Was a hug. All he needed was a hug. That's all anyone ever needs. The, the, uh, one, the one thing I did notice, I, I, I really like the design of the uh, the half-finished Cyberman. It did give me a few uh, – it did remind me a little bit of, if anyone has seen season four of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, it did remind me of Adam a lot. That He was the big bad oh, of that I, season. Yeah. Uh, and which is appropriate because he was a riff on Frankenstein. So, you know, that, that's obviously what they were going for. And so they've sort of come at it from a different angle and, and uh, sort of had a similar motif. But it was it was fun to sort of watch that and go, oh, yeah, that kind of reminds me a little bit of Adam from from Buffy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole one eye exposed. That's always how yeah, they do yeah, it. One eye exposed. What, one hand that has like a, a weapon on it and the other hand like just human. Yeah. Um, yeah, very, yeah, very, very but- interesting. I'd love to see a, a Cyberman, like a half robotic human hybrid, where like the top half was totally encased, but then he just had like human legs and no pants on. <laughs> just tackle out. Just tackle out going, look, they couldn't get to this bit. Uh, <laughs> but the rest of me, fully souped up, totally yeah. in, in the in the, in the the robot thing. And then just like, or maybe a small <laughs> pair of undies or shorts or something. Like like some some proper... Silver love Andy's. heart, you know, white with red love heart comedy boxer <laughs> shorts. So it's like super terrifying until your eyesight drops, and then you're yeah. like, oh, it's just a guy with no pants on. Yeah, he, he, he can be stopped by thumbtacks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, ah, ah. Are you okay? 
<laughs> no, no, yeah, I was just saying, like, you know, oh. he's, he's standing on thumbtacks. I thought something was wrong. You thought something was happening on this end. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. I no, no, I'm fine. I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not being attacked by thumbtacks. It's okay. Because I laughed in a really weird... Um, uh, I laughed in a really weird high-pitched sound because of my weird head cold, and I thought maybe I'd, like, cause sparks in your ear or something. <laughs> you know, through the Skype. Yes. Uh, that's quite hilarious. Um, no, well done on going through with the um, comedic improvisation that I did not pick up on. Uh, so... <laughs> Oh, look, we do our best here on Who's Raven On. Oh, uh, yes, yes, indeed. Um, um, yeah, I, I'm so I'm, I'm actually we're, we're still in, we're still on my list. So yeah. I'll quickly I'll quickly go through the other points because we've touched on most of them. I had uh, the doctor lays down the law, uh, which I loved. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, but it is it does sort of provide a bit of weird character inconsistency because, you know, she has not done that in the past and she definitely could have. There were times when. She probably should have, you could say, but she hasn't done. But this is obviously where, you know, she's saying, no, no this is this is where I need to make my stand. Yeah. Um, I love the twist of Shelley being the ghost. I just thought that was really cool. I thought that was really um, well done. Yeah, that's right. He was... And it's the sort of twist that this era of the show doesn't usually pull off properly. He was the and, one running and around it, and hiding yeah, from everyone yeah yeah and so that they were seeing these apparitions and they were seeing things moving of their own accord and things like that and it turns out that that was him because of the perception filter no one could see or hear him ah. uh, which uh yeah which was great like what a great what a great use of that concept what a great uh thing oh while i remember speak going way back to my first point so when they when they first arrive so when the the doctor and, and team tardis arrive and they they meet everyone the doctor does her trip trick with a psychic paper where she holds it up. Oh, yes! Says, I'm... And they're just like, oh, uh, it's not working. Like, and it's like, that's such a weird beat that's never it, brought up again. Is it a callback to when um, Shakespeare, when, when the Doctor and Martha went to Shakespeare, went to the Globe, and they flashed that to him, and he went, that's a blank piece of paper, Doctor. And he was like, oh, you are clever. You are clever. Are they, I, is it a callback look, to that? Uh, I think we're being extremely generous if we say that it is. I don't think it's a deliberate callback to that, but that certainly is a nice explanation. I don't think I don't think this episode remembers that episode, um, and I don't think that's why they did that. I, it's just a really weird beat that is never mentioned again. She she met, she says something about how oh it must be the rain or something, uh, and then she has to sort of talk her way in and, and explain who they are. But yeah, it's just a really weird beat. I'm not sure why they. I'm not sure why they did that. Like, just don't take out the psychic paper. Like, just talk your way in. It's fine. Uh, anyway, I just thought I'd mention that because no, it was just it was it was very strange. It was, it was odd. odd. And it was all of them. It was like, are you saying that they're all geniuses to the level of Shakespeare? And if you're a literary yeah. genius, you aren't baffled by the psychic paper. But you're a maths genius or a is, – is, is that a little bit of writers kind of giving themselves a pat on the back? And I, I, I was about to say, it, it feels very much – I mean – you know, the entire thesis of this episode is words matter. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> there you go. Um, I So, yeah, no, I really liked uh, Shelley being a ghost. I loved the fact that the episode actually did the the whole, ah, but what if there were actually ghosts? You know, with uh, with Graham having seen the, the, the maid yes. and, the, and the girl. 
That was and he's cute. like, oh, who were they then? And she's like, oh, maybe there are ghosts. Who knows? <laughs> that was that was good. I like that. I, it really tickled me for some reason. It's very it's a very Doctor Who thing. I like it. But um, I mean, is that surely the Doctor? I suppose the Doctor being a scientist is like, well, if presented with evidence to the contrary, but. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, it yeah. was fun, but was it a bit cheap for the doctor as a scientist I, to go? Well. Eh, maybe. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> I've only just told everyone that I'm the only one capable of making big decisions because I'm the one who knows everything and I'm at the top of the shit heap. Ah, uh, but ah. Eh, who eh? knows? Universe is a big place. Yeah. Um, and then, then my final point was, um, hey Nat, this one was pretty good. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like in a way that was, you know, I I kind of got to the end. I'm like. Okay, so there were a few little nitpicks with that one, but actually, like, I had a good time, and it held together, and it didn't, like, make me angry <laughs> to think about it. Yeah. So, I think, I think we're, we came out on top with this one. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. No, it was definitely fun. Turning now, then, to next week, because it's the start oh, of the yes. final two-parter. What flashboard uh, in time. They showed a bit of the Cyberman again, because he, he left. He That's right, they had to give him what he wanted, which was the Siberium. Yeah. And he, and he dug it off. off. And the storm clouds cleared and Geneva was nice and sunny. I don't know that that would have happened. The whole point is it was the year without a summer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That They kind of blow past that where they're like, oh, the year without a summer was actually like caused by the Cyberman ship. Yeah. No. Uh, and they kind of, that's kind of undercooked. They're, they kind of sort of. It was caused they, by a volcano. Yeah. And we know that. We know that from <laughs> Jefferson Starfish. Yes, exactly. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, dear. But um, yeah. yeah, no, it um, yeah, no, we we see the, the they're heading into the future for the cyber war in which most of the human race has been wiped out and converted into Cybermen. Have we seen cyber war before? I was just thinking that. I don't know. I think it's it's been referred to a few times. Um. But, yeah, it's something that has been referred to uh, multiple times during the show. I don't know that we've ever seen, like, the cyber war. So maybe this is the first time the show is sort of going there. Yeah, and will there be more Cybermen? I think we saw in one of the previews or something they had, like, you know, one of the season sort of previews, they had multiple Cybermen. So one can assume we will see multiple Cybermen. But what did the Siberium... Sorry, I keep wanting to say, what is it, the thing from Avatar, the unobtainium? The unobtainium, uh, yeah. Well, it may as well be. What What did it do again? What was its purpose for? It was like a, it was like a living computer. It was like a central database sort of thing. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, it was Sorry, like, a, like a living library slash tactical computer it slash... It was kind of like Flubber. It was kind of like Silver yeah. Flubber. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it was um, it was MacGuffinium. Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> so it, uh, but yeah, and then the the doctor just sort of gave it up. So she had to fake kill Shelley to get it off him. Then she took it into herself. But then she was like, "Oh, I guess you have it." And then and then handed it over. That was a bit. That was a bit strange. Yeah. Um, but it'll it'll come in handy at some point. Because for a, for a moment, for a, for a, a second, I was like, "Oh, I wonder if they're going to pull this trigger." Because she takes it into herself. So, like, this is Cyberman technology that she's taking into herself. Mm. You know, is the Doctor going to become the lone Cyberman? Oh! 
Ah. I was like, oh, my God, like, are they going to do this? And then the whole thing is that, you know, maybe the fam has to team up with Captain Jack to stop the Doctor. You know, what an incredible, like, thing there. But, uh, no, they're not doing that. (laughs) Maybe next week? I mean, the big thing for me is, are they going to bring back Dr. Ruth? Yes. And we've well, talked I mean, about this, I think, every Jack, week. First of all. Like, oh, uh, Jack, you know. yeah. Uh, but yes, Dr. Ruth, like, are we going to, are we going to see more of that or is that next season? I, yeah, exactly. Was it just a very long cookie crumble? Because isn't it, weren't you tweeting this week, did I see about Doctor Who now not coming back until like end of 2021? Yes, well, I wanted to get to this because there, there's there's a lot there's been a lot of Doctor Who news beyond like just this episode this week. So I, I thought well, we'd we'd do a quick lightning get into, round. Get into it. Okay, well let's do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, so yeah, next week we're going to see uh, the first part of the final two parter. Um, it's written by Chris Chibnall. I hope it's good. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it's got um, that Chibnall guarantee. It sure does. That guarantee of mediocrity. I I'm I'm sorry. That's actually really really mean. Uh, no, but. No, but fair commentary Stu it's fair commentary but um so there's been a lot of there's been a fair few little tidbits of Doctor Who news this this week so uh the first one yes is that uh uh Doctor Who uh we've now heard will air in the second half of 2021 so it's going to be more than it's going to be about 18 months from the end of this season to the start of the next one which yeah. is not great. Uh, there's going there's going to be a holiday special, so there's going to be either a Christmas or a New Year special again. Um, and then we we've got to wait until like July August at least for the the third season of Jodie Whittaker's era. The uh, August of next year. Of next year, so 2021. That's crazy long time away. Yeah, and and they kind of defend it by saying that, like, they don't take any time off. Like, apparently they're in production the whole time, which seems weird to me. Like, like they're, they're making the point that, you know, every every Doctor Who episode, like, like there's very few um, standing sets that they can call upon. So there's the TARDIS set, and that's basically it. Every other set has to either be sourced or built from scratch. Uh, oh yeah, that's per funny. episode, unless they can, unless they can do it, um, they have to do a new cast. They do new costumes every, every episode, you know. And it's like, yes, all of that is true, but this show has been on for over ten years, you know. Like at what point? Well, it's fifteen now, not, or fifteen now? You know, the the revived show has been on since two thousand and five. How have you not figured out how to do this? Do you know what I mean? And like, yeah. is it just the fact that it is literally impossible or are you not doing it properly? I wonder, you know? if, I wonder if behind the scenes, because of course the Tories in the UK have said that they're going to scrap the BBC license fee. Yes. Uh, which is extraordinary. Extraordinary. It's just going to collapse the whole thing in a heap. It, I don't know how, because that's the bulk of where the, the BBC, how the BBC is funded. Sure. Uh, and it's it's pretty cheap, I think, for what you get. You know, yes, it's still a fee that you oh, have to pay. Oh, it's astonishing, yeah. But it's like everyone pays for Netflix streaming now, so and nobody bitches about that. And I think no, the BBC that's right. exactly, yeah. is about the same or possibly cheaper. Uh, so I'm, yeah, I'm I'm really flummoxed by that. But maybe they're kind of 
have to be really careful about where they allocate their dollars or pounds, I should say, um, because if they're worried about <laughs> budgets coming up. Because uh, I would just say, well, maybe you could hire two production teams. So, you know, hire more writers. So you've got writers working. You know, they're, they're yeah, working and, and, out. and it's important. It's important to remember that the the Doctor Who is not a you know a US style show. Like they don't have like a writers' room as such, and they don't yeah. have like that rolling production sort of thing that that yeah. you know they do. They have. They have a showrunner and a producer, and then they commission scripts. And so, you know, a person will write a script, and then Chris Chibnall will, and other people, like there are other people as well who script edit. Um, they they edit the scripts and they they make it fit into an overarching theme. But like you you don't have like a room of people breaking down the season, mm. if that makes sense. You know, it's not a U.S. style show, and so it doesn't have all the efficiencies of a U.S. style show. And I get that. But by the same token, like, it really does feel like they could be doing it better. Like, I saw, um, I posted about uh, this uh, article that was on Digital Spy over the, during the course of the week that sort of made the case for why it's unrealistic to expect a new season of Doctor Who every year. And it's like, I agree up to a point, but Mm. the article, the article made the point where like, you know, uh, Russell T Davies, who was obviously the, the, the man who revived Dr. Who, mm. uh, sort of was, you know, uh, co- used to complain all the time when he was running the show that, Oh, he was never sleeping. And, you know, it was just this incredible, uh, beast that needed to be, needed to be fed the whole time. But it kind of disproves his point because Russell T Davies oversaw four straight seasons of 13 episodes a season yeah. every year. Plus, he he created Torchwood and the Sarah Jane Adventures. So at one stage, they had three Doctor Who-related shows all running at once. Yeah. All overseen by Russell T Davies. Thirteen episodes a season of Doctor. Thirteen episodes a season every year of Doctor Who. The only time they stopped was because David Tennant wanted to do Hamlet. And he was you know, great, by the way. I and went to he see was him. he was incredible. Of course he was. But he uh, he did Hamlet for a year, and so they took a year off. And in their year off, they still made four specials. Yes. You know, so like you can point to the Russell T Davies era, like that was the golden age. Mm. You know, and ever since then, we've had this thing where showrunners keep saying, "Oh, it's just so hard. It's just so hard." It's like, well, RTD made it work. And, like, maybe RTD is a freak, and he certainly seems to be. He certainly seems to be one of those prodigious people who is just driven and a bit of a savant when it comes to this sort of thing. Yeah. But And I think certainly, I mean, yeah. the TV landscape now compared to 2005 is vastly different. Like, 2005 or, um, yeah, 2004, I think, when they were filming it. So it got revived mm. in 2004. It debuted in 2005. You know, this is way before Netflix, or at least certainly the Netflix that we know. It's yeah. before um, Twitter. It's before yes. you know, Facebook just starting out but nobody really using it. So it's kind of pre-social media, pre-streaming services. We were still buying DVDs. I've still got here in my house a number of Doctor Who box sets from those early seasons. Uh, they, um, Nerdflex, I have, I have every season on DVD. 
I, well, well I, the later ones on Blu-ray. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice, nice. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't. I you know, it's it's before. Maybe there was the demand for the audiences to justify that production level because it was new, it was back again, there was a lot of hype for it. Maybe now the audience is more fragmented. Like, haven't you told me before that, like, the Jodie Whittaker Doctor viewing numbers are on average down on previous? Get off my computer, cat. This season they certainly have been, but but that 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 and and you you're very right. Like they the, the time shifted um, totals are pretty much on par with what the season has been for the last few what the show has done for the last few years. Oh, okay. Um, so so it's not it's not significantly yeah. down really. Like it's it's the 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 number of people who sit down when the episode airs on television in the UK is vastly down on what it has been in the past, but that's because no one sits down to watch television anymore. Yeah. That's just a change in viewing habits. The 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 time shifted uh viewing figures are pretty much the same as what they've always been. Mm. Um okay. so you know like like the oh, show the show hasn't really like like you might have lost a few viewers, but that's sort of the case across the board as everything becomes a bit more fragmented. Yeah. But it, but even so, you know, like I think a ten episode series is perfectly reasonable for something on the BBC budget. And look, you know, as I, as I've said as well, like it's, the shows never look better. Like in terms of production values, the show is kicking it out of the park every single week. You know, spending, you know, more money on fewer episodes. Well, that's right. Exactly. And that's what I wondered. And and if, and if so, that's a good way to do it. You know, you, you take, you cut your runtime by two or three episodes and instead invest that money in making the existing episodes look better. And that's fine. That's a good thing to do. I'm happy with that. But, you know, the idea that you can't make 10 episodes of television a year is just crazy to me. It's just, you know, like it's just crazy. It feels like if you're, okay, you've started now, uh, this season finishes, end of Feb, then you could start again at the holiday special and go start of next year. To me, that seems yeah, because you're filming over the UK summer, which is probably extremely doable. Um, yeah, and and they're talking as if it's the most unreasonable thing in the world, and that they need all this extra time. And it's like, no, I don't get that. I don't see that. The the only time like like the 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 schedule became a bit wonky under Moffat. Um, and there was talk that, you know, perhaps some funding issues behind the scenes were the cause of that. But also uh, the 50th anniversary special was uh, a big part of that because yeah. they, they actually around to yeah, exactly shifting everything around and making sure they had the budget because the BBC wasn't going to give them that much more money to make a 50th anniversary special. It's a massive deal for the show. As far as the BBC is concerned, they have a yearly budget that they allocate to Doctor Who. <laughs> And that's what you get. And so they had to negotiate for a little bit more money. And so that they made sure that they sort of had enough money to make the 50th a big event, they had fewer episodes that year, you know, and it's it's like that's the trade off. And I get that, you know, like you. But that's why there were fewer episodes that year and why season seven, I think, was split into two parts. Um, You know, it just. Yeah, like. I don't know. It's it's a weird it's a weird argument to make. You know, there are always ways to make it work, and it just feels like a bit of a cop out to say, "Oh, it's really hard." It's like, yes, I I know lots of shows like like making television 
is hard. I get it. But, yeah. you know, like you've been doing it for like, like the, the show has been going for 15 years. Like you should, you should have this figured out. And there would be and so many people keen to work on Doctor Who, one would think. I'm sure. You would think. I mean, maybe there's a drawback because, like, I know watching a lot of those Game of Thrones behind-the-scenes type thing, that was a massive effort. Like, yes. Huge effort, personally, on people's lives and, you know, it was their whole life. And I get but, that. But, you know, like, Doctor Who's not doing anything like the Battle of Winterfell. Like... Well, no. You know. <laughs> there's still two episodes left. Well, that's true. That's true. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll surprise us. Um, so, you know, that, that's the, that's the, uh, the big Doctor Who news out this week is that we know that the, the next season isn't going to be, uh, with us until the second half of next year. So we're going to have another long wait, not as long as we had to wait for this, uh, series because we had to, we had obviously had to wait over a year, uh, which was very bad, but, um, you know, we will have a bit of a wait, but then as Doctor Who fans, we have gotten very used to waiting for new episodes. So <laughs> I guess we're used to it by now. Um, Speaking of Stephen Moffat, there was a fun article that I posted uh, a little earlier today. Um, he actually got spoiled on the master twist in the uh, in the intro in the intro in the uh, opening two parter um, because he's that much of a nerd that he couldn't help but be spoiled. Um, so he obviously uh, Sasha Dewan is in uh, his new show uh, Dracula. Uh, so oh, he's in, he's he? in one of the episodes of Dracula. Yeah, he is. Uh, and he plays a very good part. And, uh, so obviously like Moffat was talking to him. He's like, Oh, I heard you, uh, I heard you got cast in Doctor Who, you know, like, and he was like, Oh yes, yes. I can't say much. He's like, no, 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 don't tell me anything. Don't tell me anything. I don't want to know anything because I want to watch it as a fan, which is so like endearing. It's like, it's great. You forget, you forget that at the end of the day, like they're all massive Doctor Who fans. Yes. You know? And so he's like, no, don't tell me anything. And then Sasha Dewan is like, oh, yeah, obviously I won't tell you anything. But then he mentioned, he, he said, oh, you know, it's it's crazy, though. You know, they, they've got me saying all this weird, like, techno babble, like a tissue compression eliminator, right? And as soon as he said that, uh, Stephen Moffat said he realized who Sasha Dewan oh. was playing because Stephen Moffat is a giant nerd and knows exactly what that oh, means. And that's the master's... And that's the master's, like, signature uh, thing. So, yeah, he... um. Yeah, he got spoiled uh, because he's a huge nerd, which is very, which is very cool. Oh, that's quite that. that <laughs> I'm sad for him, but how funny! Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he just would have been like, "Don't, like, don't tell me anything." Don't tell me anything. Oh no! But Sasha obviously didn't know that. You know, that is a very particular. He's obviously not as big a nerd. No, no, exactly. Yeah, so Sasha Dewan is not anywhere near as big a nerd, and so he had no idea that that was like a very telltale. Uh, phrase if if you're the right kind of nerd, uh, yes. which was very cool. Um, the other the other thing, the one one more thing, uh, Doctor Who related was that uh, the Gallifrey One uh, fan convention was held uh, last weekend as we record this. Okay. Um, and uh, so this is this is the biggest Doctor Who convention in the world. It's held every year. It's in North America. Um, and uh, for the first time ever. Christopher Eccleston uh, appeared. He, obviously, oh. the Ninth Doctor, the first Doctor of the revived era. Oh, I uh, He came and and appeared at a convention and did a panel and and talked to people and wow. seemed to have finally embraced. Because for a long, long time he kind of was sort of very distant towards Doctor Who, and we we since know that that was because he kind of clashed with uh, RTD and and uh, uh, his producer at the time. Um which is, you know, really unfortunate to hear uh, sort of behind the scenes. He sort of had, 
he had an idea about what the show should be and RTD had a different idea and they couldn't sort of see eye to eye. And, you know, ultimately, like, I probably trust RTD a little bit more than I trust Christopher Eccleston. But having said that, like, it was sorry, to, it was sad to see him go after just one season because I really liked his doctor. Um, but yeah, so since then, he's been very distant towards sort of Doctor Who in general, but to the point where he didn't even show up. He didn't come back for the 50th. They had to create the War Doctor basically to yeah. fill the role that he would have he would have had. God, that. it would have been good if he'd come. Not to not to denigrate John Hurt, he was amazing, but yeah. No, could, and 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 the thing you is, really like you know, tell that was made to be Eccleston, like. Oh yes, absolutely. Like, like that would have that would have been Eccleston if they could have got him back. And and, and Moffat has said like they they got a little way down the negotiation with him, and then he kind of. So so he had written versions of the script in which he appeared. Uh, and then, you know, he kind of pulled out. And so they had to come up with something else. And so what they came up with was quite clever and actually works out being very good. But, yeah, it's sort of it's uh, it, it, it was what it was. But, you know, it's really nice what to see. Might him have been in, sort of thing. Exactly. But it's really nice to see him embrace fandom again and, and sort of tell funny stories about like the time of the show and that sort of thing. Yeah, it was really good. I liked it. Oh, that's I like nice. people. I like people coming together, Natalie. That's nice, Stu. I'm glad nice. you do. Um, so I mean, that's all the Doctor Who news I had. I did have a couple of other uh, general nerdery, geekery things to mention to you, and you, you, I don't know whether you have any yourself. No, because I've been sick and <laughs> you've been sick for me. So let me, I, let I me do this now. Not seen anything. I have not watched. I when I was sick the other night, and I thought, you know what, I should just relax on the. TV, TV. I'll relax on the TV. I'll relax and put on the TV. And I couldn't. I was like looking at Netflix and doing that dance of, well, I don't know what to watch. I don't know. There's no immediate obvious true crime thing for me to watch. Uh, so I put on Kath and Kim of all things. Fantastic. I went, I just want something really non because I was really cloudy headed and you know when you just want something that can be on that you don't have to think about and it's just and and that's what I put I actually did think I should watch that Doctor Who episode again before we podcast and I thought you know what (laughs) even that's too much brain power (laughs) and yeah anyway so that's the extent of my pop culture viewing (laughs) Fair enough. Captain Kat, Kim, better better than a lot of people remember, I think. Uh, it's a very it's good show. Very well written and yes. very funny and very good at capturing kind of Australian stereotypes without being cruel. Uh, yes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it takes the Mickey out of um, you know the the Melbourne suburban types, but also then yeah. the the ah that per on and. Uh, and just so many good quotable quotes, and and you realise how steep it is, steeped it is in our culture because I see Kath and Kim memes on Facebook, you know, every week. Mm. There'll be some picture of Kath like sitting yeah. there looking annoyed, and it's just like, no, not having it. Or it, yeah, <laughs> there's just so much, so much memeable content from that show. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But yes, I have not seen anything interesting. Fair so enough. what have you well. seen? The the one the one burning uh, hot news item that I have to get off my chest is that uh, Tormund's going to be in The Witcher. Oh yes, I did see that. 
I so had uh, Christopher Hipju, my man Tormund, uh, is going to be in The Witcher season two. Witcher uh, Giant Bane. Yes, Witcher Giant Bane. Uh, so That's he's going to be coming out till next year as well. That's a long. Yes, way. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so no, that's a, that's a shame, but uh. He's going to be in there, and uh, that's cool. That's all I have to say about that. That's yeah, uh, no. very good. Look, they didn't have to do this specifically to get me on board. I already like the show, but it's very nice of them. <laughs> They've just sealed the deal for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I Well, I had a DM from Eloise saying I needed to bring this to your attention, and then, <laughs> I had, and then Alana on Twitter, I think, pinged us both. Yes. So thank you yeah. to uh, the two E's, Alana and Eloise, for making sure that we are kept up to date with the movements of Tormund Giants Bane. Absolutely. Uh, look, I can see him adding a lot to that show. I, I have a few episodes left to watch of The Witcher, and I'm going to get onto that uh, ASAP. Just not yet. Yes. <laughs> well, I have Speed, the movie, the play starts back next week at the Brisbane Powerhouse. If you are in town for the Brisbane Comedy Festival, please come. Tickets are selling very well. Thank God I can eat. Um, <laughs> and I have another show called This Is Your Trial coming up in the first on the first weekend of March. Please come along if you are in Brisbane to, to these shows. It's very nice if you do. Mm. Uh, uh, and eventually I'll start writing again, something, you know, that people can actually digest and enjoy. <laughs> yes. Anything else pop culture wise, Stu? Uh, two things. Well, uh, first of all, uh, a very short uh, little screen test of uh, Robert Pattinson as Batman. Oh yes, I did. Uh, was released that. this week, uh, which is, I mean, it's a weird thing to get excited over, but like he looks like Batman. The thing that excited me was the the cast list. Yes, I saw because you getting very excited. It's like Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman. That's amazing. It's it's insane. So this is the so this is the cast list, and I don't know if this is new information because I feel like each of these people got announced, uh, you know, separately, and the full weight of them didn't quite land. It's an insane cast. So there's so obviously you've got Robert Pattinson as Batman, which is a weird left field choice, which makes me think it's going to be great. Mm. Right. And then Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, Colin Farrell as the Penguin. That is, uh, that is, yeah, that's left field. Extremely then, left, extremely left wing, uh, extremely has, like left field. Has Colin Farrell left his good looking leading man time behind? I think he's, up? I think he's moving into middle age character actor territory. Yeah. that And that, yeah. that tallies for me. Cause remember he, he did a lot of like, action movies where he was a cool FBI agent or um, he did that Alexander one with Oliver Stone yeah. where he, yes. he blocked it up and, uh, and everyone went, what are you doing, Oliver Stone? And, yeah, he was sort of this big leading man for a while. Mm. And I, I feel like he's probably in his late 40s now. Would he be 50? So, yeah, he'd be pushing it. Yeah, so maybe. But the Penguin, because I only know the Penguin as Danny DeVito, and I don't mean to sound – sure insulting but Danny DeVito is a small man he's he is and like, the penguin has always been depicted even even before like the 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 1989 movie version or the the Batman Returns version rather um sort of cast him as this weird freak like he's always been sort of a, a little guy like he's always been okay like, like the, the point is he's a he's a he's a gangster just with a a bit of a weird thing you know, as opposed to like every all of other Batman's villains are basically, you know, 
weirdos and freaks and the penguin is just a gangster who likes to do like umbrella themed uh you know weapons like it, it, he's he's just sort of he's right on the bottom rung of super villainy if that makes sense um <laughs> i just want to clarify colin farrell is only 43 oh okay right yeah fair enough there you go i just assumed he was older but, but again like like definite definite sort of middle-aged uh character actor territory i suppose um, which so, i yeah. think is really interesting um i haven't i haven't seen him like in character i don't know how full-on they're going I, I i hope they do more of the comics version like sort of uh sort of weird gangster guy rather than uh freaky, you know the, the freaky full the full freaky man. freaky devito version i think i think that's that was a that was a take on the character and I, it doesn't have to be the only take um, the other, the, the perfect casting is Paul Dano as the Riddler, uh, okay. who is. I have to look up who Paul Dano is because so I. So Paul, ha, um, have you seen uh, There Will Be Blood? No. No. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think what else he's been in. Um, hang on. Uh, what else has Paul Dano been in? Yeah, I can I'm definitely see Google. the Riddler. I can see why they've gone the Riddler. Yeah, he's got that sort of. He's got he's that got, sort of creepy. Yeah. Yeah, he's sort of like um, nerdy, but uh, how do I describe him? He's, he's got oh. nerdy, nerdy but dangerous sort of. Hang on, vibe is he the kid? Okay, I see a picture. Was he the kid in Little Miss Sunshine? He was the older brother, yes, the one who yes, wanted yes, to be at the Air yeah. Force. Yeah. Okay, I just saw a picture of him there, going, yeah, yeah. So he's got this very round face, kind of somewhat, somewhat bland features. Would you say or? Yeah, fairly bland, like, yeah, very unassuming. It's, yeah. Yeah, you could definitely see him being this sort of very, like, unnoticeable character and then being the Riddler. But being a secret, like, sort of of riddle master sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But unassuming, unprepossessing. Yeah, Yeah. interesting. Um, Jeffrey Wright will be James Gordon. That's, uh, so, that's so they've cool. gone some race bending casting on that one, which is quite cool. But yeah, he's uh, great. He's he's, he's um, great. Yeah, he's Felix Leiter. He sure is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's very cool. And um, Andy Circus will be Alfred. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty. Which is, I mean, I, I mean, as, as soon as you say that, you're like, oh yeah, that could work. Like as the more sort of working class, you know, uh, Michael Caine version of. Uh, of Alfred rather than the sort of upper class. Oh yes, Mr. Wayne, you know? Uh, yeah. Like that all works. Like, I mean, but I mean, it's, it's what a weird cast and what a cool idea that we're going to have Catwoman, the penguin and the Riddler in like one movie. They're, they're just, they're just throwing them all in there all at once. They're all going to um, be hanging around Arkham Asylum. The, uh, someone will set the, the electricity off. So they'll all escape. Yeah, and uh, a mania will ensue. Well, exactly. Like, like, so Catwoman will likely be more of an anti-hero in this one rather than a full-on villain. Like, she'll be, she'll uh, be like sparring with Batman probably a lot. Um, whether the Penguin or the Riddler is sort of the main villain, villain um, remains to be seen. Like, one of them, they might team up. One of them might be. I, I suspect the Riddler would probably be the main villain and the penguin might be uh, the secondary villain, but that might be, it might be reversed. Well, they typically have had multiple villains. Like, cause the, 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 cause I, I loved Batman returns. That was, I think mm. that just hit my wheelhouse and it was so, you know, Tim, Bur- Tim Burton's Gotham 
I don't really. It, it is extremely weird. If you go back and watch it, extremely stylized, very, very goth. It's always dark. There's never any light. There's never any daytime. Um, it, it's it's super yeah super goth. Uh, and they had Christopher Walken was the main bad guy. That Max yes. Max Planck. Max Shrek. Shrek. Sorry, why am I thinking Max Planck? He's the physicist. He's a uh, physicist. Yes. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Noted villain. Uh, Planck. Um, Planck. Shrek, was it? Shrek. Shrek. Uh, Shrek. Shrek. Shrek, like the ogre. Like the ogre. Weird. Um, so Catwoman was there, the penguin was there, and mm. then the Max Shrek guy. So there were multiple. Fun, fun bit of trivia Max Shrek was supposed to be Harvey Dent. In, oh. the, in the original script, and they uh, they got they were going to get because um, uh, Billy D. Williams obviously played Harvey Dent in the first movie, and was meant to come back for the second. What Lando? And yeah, Lando. He's wow, in he's in, he's in the first one. People forget this. He's in the first one totally. as Harvey Dent. Nice. He's not in it for very long. He's in for like one or two scenes. Um, but he's Harvey Dent, and the whole plan was that in the second one he was going to turn into Two Face. So, you know, like like the Max Shrek character was going to be Harvey Dent, and oh. then something happened behind the scenes where they sort of said, "Oh, maybe not." Like it just for some reason they decided not to do to go in that direction, but they had this character in the script that needed to be filled, and so they just turned him into Max Shrek and cast Christopher Walken. Well, I mean, look, you can do a lot worse. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, the penguin was was fun. That was Danny DeVito chewing the scenery. Yes, and uh, people's noses. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he would attack people, wouldn't he? Just, <laughs> I haven't watched that movie in ages, but... Uh, we should yeah, watch it. That, we should watch it. Well, we need to... I, I watched it. I watched it a couple of years ago, and it, it was it was the first time I had seen it since I was like fairly young. Yeah. Um. Because obviously, like, it was the movie that came out. Like, like I was a little bit young to really because 1989, I was a little bit young to really appreciate Batman. I knew what Batman was. Yeah, um, I did. But I, I didn't see yeah. Batman in 1989. No, 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 no. I definitely didn't see it at the theater. Um. But 1991. Like by by the time it came out on like VHS, it was like '92. Uh, I definitely like I I remember watching Batman Returns a lot uh, on VHS. Um, so like that version of Catwoman and the Penguin, and and right around that time, uh, the Batman the Animated Series came out, which borrowed very heavily from that aesthetic. Mm. Uh, and of course, like you know, Batman. Batman the Animated Series is pointed to by a lot of people, including me, as possibly the best version of, of Batman, like across all mediums. Uh, right. It kind of d- distills down a lot of a lot of the excess crap that, you know, is in the comics and, and also also the weird Burton-y bullshit that was in the the movies and kind of gets yeah. to a very cool, streamlined version of the character and, and the and that world. Um have you have you seen much of it, like like of the animated series? Not, no, I've seen none of the animated series. It's, no, it's very good. And is Kevin that, Conroy, is that Kevin Mark Conroy, who voices Batman in that, uh, has become the voice of Batman. Uh, so like like he voices him across like all the games, all the new, or every every time there's an animated series, Kevin Conroy will voice Batman. Uh, oh. And he he's the voice that I hear in my head if I'm reading like a Batman comic. 
Oh, wow. Um, I, I definitely hear his voice. Uh, it, ch- chances are you've heard him voice the Batman because he basically bo- voices Batman in everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would have. He's sure. got that voice. He's that got gravelly. That, not, not, that, not that Christian Bale, like, swear to me, but like, like yeah. a very, you know, just like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I can't, I can't do it. But yeah, he, uh, he, he does a very good Batman. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it, yeah, that's next year, isn't it? The new, the Batman. It is, yes. So they're, they're, they're filming at the moment. So, so this was a screen test for the Batman costume. Yes. Uh, it's looks very like cool. Batman. Looks very like Batman. Yeah. Uh, it looks cool. Didn't see, any nipples, didn't see any nipples. No, no nipples on the bat suit, no. I want uh, them to bring back the nipples. Just get a little uh, bit more. Do we? Do we? <laughs> get a little bit more uh, BDSM. <laughs> but I think, uh, I, read, yeah. I think I read, I think, I, yeah, no, I read it. I clicked on that and it went to an article where Robert Pattinson was talking about testing and being in the bat suit and how it just like makes you Batman. Like you're like, oh my God, I'm Batman. And all of a sudden you're just doing yeah. Well, I mean, can you, and... can you imagine like putting on a Hollywood quality Batman costume? Like you would be Batman. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be uh, walking. I am Justice. I am the Knight. But he also said that you know it t- took like a team of five people to get him into the damn thing. Oh, I'm and sure. He, he said like he had a woman you know cupping his buttocks to squeeze them into the into the suit, and I'm like, well, how does Batman get into it so quickly then? You because know? he's Batman. I, I mean, I know he's Batman, but there are logistical questions. That no, no, not no, 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 no. You, you very rapidly learned that the the answer to every question is because he's Batman. <laughs> but yeah, I I would love to see an outtake on the DVD eventually of like Robert Pattinson just being put into the suit, you yeah, know, or, or then removed from the suit. Uh, I'm sure that I'm sure that's someone's thing. And they they lube uh, him up. Was it, was it, somebody get the said. Towel did somebody send us both on Twitter or did I hallucinate this in my sickness? It was like a, a card for I won't let you slip away and it was like the lube man from Watchmen. Was that to oh, you? Did God. I see that? Um. <laughs> I'm sure it was like a it was maybe it was someone else I saw tangentially and I just assumed it was you, but it was like a Valentine's card and, and it was like a picture of lube man just with I won't let you slip away. I have a vague away. memory of that and I don't know whether I sent that to you or not. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe someone posted a lot's, it. A lot's happened over the last couple of weeks. Oh, uh, it's been intense. <laughs> um, it's been intense. But and and so so one final one final uh, thing that I just wanted to quickly mention. Uh, so staying on the DC theme, uh, I went and saw Birds of Prey. Um, oh yes, how was that? It was fine. It was oh, okay. perfectly fine. I've seen a lot of people raving about it. A lot of them. Yeah. A lot of people loving it. I would say probably skewing towards women. Do you sure. think it's aimed towards women? I think it it wants to be it wants to be a women's film very much. Uh, it kind of look as a as a comic fan, I have a couple of problems with it just because it takes some weird. It, the, the the DC films in general uh, do the same thing that the Marvel films do. The Marvel films are sort of twisting and adapting and doing weird stuff with the comics. Uh, source material, but for some reason Marvel know how to do it, and DC really hasn't got a handle on it yet. So it's doing a lot of things like like uh, Margot Robbie is fantastic as Harley Quinn, but then she was fantastic in Suicide Squad. She was easily the best thing in that movie. Okay. Um. So she's really good, but the trouble is this is a Birds of Prey movie that is all about Harley Quinn. Uh, because obviously she was the breakout character of 
Suicide Squad and, and she's Margot Robbie. Box box office money draw. Yeah, exactly. Like she's a she's a, an Oscar winner. She's a big box office draw. So uh, she, yeah. Oscar nominee, but Oscar nominee. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah, so it, it's it's a Harley Quinn movie that happens to feature these other characters called the Birds of Prey, um, which kind of is a bit. It makes for a bit of a weird structure, and it also feels a bit like. Harley Harley Quinn introduces you to some of her good friends that you should also watch movies about. You know, it just it, right. there is a, a little bit of that feeling to it. But ultimately, like it's a fun movie. It's 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 fun. It's it's relatively uh, like fun to watch. Like, like there's a lot of cool fight scenes and and all that sort of thing, which is what you want out of a superhero movie. Um, it was good. Like it wasn't a masterpiece. But by the same token, it didn't suck. And for a DC movie at the moment, that's a very that's a very good bar to clear. So well, there you go. I thought it was very I thought it was very watchable. Um, not a masterpiece, but very fun. So well, that's get along it. and see it. And uh, uh, Ewan McGregor is in it as Black Mask, and is actually having a really fun turn as a weird villain guy. Okay. Yeah, doing doing a very fun weird villain. Okay. Yeah. because yeah, he's. Has he ever done superheroes before? I mean, apart from the the Star Wars. Well, he he was in he was in Star Wars, but no, he hasn't really he hasn't really done a superhero movie. So like, he's decided to come in for obviously a one off uh, to do like a a B list Batman villain, I guess. Like like Black Mask has sort of become a little bit. He he's a relatively recent villain. I think he was only created in like the nineties, uh, and sort of became popular in the two thousands. But he um. He's he doesn't really have a super like lockdown gimmick like the Joker or someone like that, and so he he basically his deal is he's a he's a gangster who wears a black mask, okay. uh, and so you can basically do whatever you want with him. And Hugh McGregor goes full weird, and it's very cool to watch. Okay. So yeah, uh, so check that out. You know, if you if you have some free time and and want to see a fun movie, like go see that one. All right. Well, I was it this week or was it last week the Oscars? I cannot even remember. I think it was, uh, last, it was week. last week. Um, but I didn't end up seeing Joker. I must see it somewhere at some point. Um, uh, again, it's fine. It has <laughs> like the idea that the idea that it got nominated for several Oscars is insane to me. Uh, it's a perfectly fine film. It is not bad because uh, there are people out there who are trashing it as you know garbage, and it's not. But it's also not some you know, misunderstood masterpiece either. It's, it's uh, the guy who made the hangovers, the hangover movies, uh, making his Scorsese fan fiction that he, he freely admits he put the Joker in to get the movies financed. Right. Like this, this movie, you know, like this, this movie, the whole point of it is that it's basically his tribute to Scorsese. Uh, and to get money to make that movie, he made it a Joker movie. You know, right. So, and and it has a it has an absolutely stunning lead performance by Joaquin Phoenix. So you reckon he deserved the Oscar then? I think he I think he definitely did. He he has he gives an absolutely amazing performance in it. Um, but the movie itself is kind of I don't even know. Like it's not it's not bad. It's just like it's singularly joyless which okay. is seems to be it seems like a weird thing to 
to say about a Joker movie, but it is like it. It thinks it and, and it thinks it's a little bit more clever than it actually is. But you know, it, it's not it's not bad, and I enjoyed it. But you know, I wouldn't go see it again because it is deeply unpleasant to watch as well. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yes, but you know, not not uh, worth seeing if you're interested. Yes. Okay. There is. It is on the list. We really need to do that movie <laughs> podcast where I'm forced to watch movies and then talk about yeah, them. Where I finally force you to watch all these movies. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they all need to be. They all need to be forced upon me. Yes. Um. Uh, yeah. Well, I do. I need to. I need to expand my brain. I've. I've spent. It's one of those things where I always feel bad consuming pop culture because I'm like I should be creating and making stuff and. And and not just sort of consuming everyone no, else's stuff. No, you have to take stuff in to to put stuff out again. Exactly. Yeah, you do need to have a bit of um. Well, I've been it's reading a book. I've been reading a book, Stu. That's a book. A, an what, actual. What, what book is a what is a book? With pages that I turn, <laughs> and there are words on them. Um, oh wow. Yeah, it's a cool book actually. I'm enjoying it. It's uh, it's called The Power. Hang on, let me. I'm probably about halfway through it, which is good for me. Um, and it's about. It's a couple of years old now. Naomi Alderman is the writer, and it's about what happens when uh, young women, uh, it's discovered that they have a, a power to, like, an organ across your collarbone that's basically an electric charge. So oh. all women all women have it, but it's been dormant for thousands of years or right. and not in human recorded history. Right. Uh, but it wakes up and I have, okay. it's been no explanation of why it's just this, you know, what happens when all of a sudden women can shock you with, you know, you can literally discharge electricity through your hands. This um, is the future the feminists want. Well, I think from what the <laughs> quotes say on the back is, uh, is it's, it's about what happens if that, you know, if there's such a massive tide turns and right, all of a sudden, yeah. so one of the, um, one of the storylines, it's sort of got some main characters that it's telling the perspectives from. And um, one of them is a Nigerian, like 20 year old or something who witnesses it and then starts recording and uploading videos at the very start of the phenomenon. And then he starts being paid by CNN and he becomes a reporter and he uh, travels the world filming and uploading and showing what's happening from this, you know, great movement of women. And he goes to Moldova or somewhere in Eastern Europe where women are heavily trafficked right um for sexual slavery and it's what happens when these women realize they have this power or they get you have to it's like wakes up in young like teenage girls first it's like sort of brought on by puberty sure and uh and then they um they can wake it up in older women so you know it just needs that spark to spark the next one almost and, it feels like natalie that there's some sort of metatextual uh theme to this book well, yes, and look, I haven't finished it yet, uh, but it's 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 fun how it's kind of exploring, like as I say, this Moldova. Basically, the country revolts, and uh, the prime minister or the president is found dead. He's mysteriously right. found dead, and then his wife takes all the women and they march into the hills and they form their own country of women. <laughs> and and then there are other, and then another character who's become kind of a, a prophet, like using, you know, so. 
Um, it's sort of what happens if this massive seismic change where all of a sudden half the world can has magic powers, has magic powers where you can injure men and kill them, you know, if, if you can't control it. So there's all these, uh, you know, things are set up to help girls learn how to control it, how to use it. Um, there is a movement to, you know, say you shouldn't be using it, stop using it. And some girls feel ashamed. Um, and so it's kind of covering what I'm up to first is like the first, uh, it looks like about the first 10 years of this progress, but it seems to have a longer timeline. I'm not, I'm not sure, but uh, the, the, yeah. the revolt is starting because it's, it, it includes some chapters that are just like message boards, like Reddit message boards. Right. And they're, okay, all, cool. they're all just MRAs going, got to take the power back. And like, you can still kill women. You can shoot them with a gun or, Sure. You know, any other method of killing women, but you've got to be quick, obviously, because they can, you know, <laughs> zing you. So it's what happens when a patriarchal society is all of a sudden completely uh, take take it. You know, the the rug's been swept out from under it. They 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 are not the stronger men are not the stronger sex anymore. Um, so yeah, so I, I'm not all the way through it. I suspect there'll be some kind of you know lessons learned about how it all just happens again and. And I don't know, but uh, it's, I'm enjoying it. It's a fun read. Yeah, no, it sounds like a really cool premise. I, I, I'm actually, you've you piqued my interest. I might try and see if I can read it as well. Well, you can, you can borrow my copy. Uh, when I, I finish thank you very it. much. I will loan it to you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's good fun and it's a nice, sometimes reading it is kind of like, yeah, like just reading some of the, the, early, <laughs> the early chapters where people are starting to realize this power and these, these girls are carrying out revenge essentially they're not killing people out of well not yet anyway they're not killing people men i should say out of uh just disliking them but they they've been abused or mistreated or uh you know someone they love's been attacked and they've used this power to defend themselves or to to attack and it's kind of like yeah yeah that, so there's a little bit of wish <laughs> there's a little bit of sort of fantasy fulfillment in there going too because sure, like yeah, yeah. particularly particularly the sexual slavery plot line where i'm like yeah kill all those fuckers because you know that's something that's that's something that's uh, makes me very sad and angry is, is sexual yes. trafficking. So um, I'm like, yeah, get all those bastards. So and <laughs> st- set up a state for women. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's it's quite a fun uh, quite a fun read so far. Mm. Uh, so that's my pop culture. Look, I'm educated reading a book. Who would have thought? That's it. I've, I've come at you with a bunch of uh, movie and TV news, and you've come up with like a uh, book recommendation. So yeah, Natalie's book raising club. the tone. Yes, that's right. It's just me and Jennifer Byrne keeping up a literary, <laughs> and Marie Cardi and uh, uh, other people of letters. <laughs> uh, well, we might call it a day there, Stu, before my yes. voice completely breaks down, and I, I'm you know, surprised you've lasted this long. I know I am too, to be honest. But you see, it's a little bit of stew medicine, you know. It's just, everything's it. better with a bit of talking it through with stew. <gasps> new podcast idea. <laughs> new podcast idea. Talking it through with stew. I should not attempt to sing when I do not sound good at all. Yes. Uh, well, we will be back next week and the week after for the final two parters of Doctor Who. Yes, we're nearly at the end. Which is going to be exciting. And then we're going to work out what the heck what we do next. We do next. Jinx. I think there'll be like pop culture education going on. I think that'll sure. be that'll be good. Because uh, I'm not really going anywhere now for the foreseeable future. So, so, so while, while this series has been on, you've been here, there, and everywhere. And once yep. once it finishes, yep, uh, you're basically going to be free, and we can it's do whatever we want. Well, they, it's not my fault they released it. To, 
the, the festival circuit, Stu. No, I know. They did. They, they sprung this on us. They did spring this on us. We thought it would be later in the year. But I'm going to write my Jefferson Starfish, well, follow-up episode, I suppose, yes. radio play for Doctor Who. So we'll do that. That's definite. And, uh, yeah, other things will happen. Other assorted things will occur. No, ma- no matter what happens, things will happen. That's right. No, I'll have more time. So I'll be able to actually get together again in person and podcast. Yes. It'll be good. It'll be good. Uh, <laughs> It'll be good. We promise. Let us say goodbye to the fam, and next week we'll find out what all the fuss was about, and hopefully Dr. Ruth will come back and save us all. Please do. (laughs) And in the meantime, bye, fam. Bye, fam. He was the universe, or some Byron quote to end on a (laughs) wistful note. That's how it works. Throw a quote, throw a poem in there. Uh, A weird half-smile, almost a camera. Yes, that's right. You'll have to picture that. We'll see you next week. Bye.